So, good morning. It's a great privilege to be with you this morning to share from God's Word. And um, uh, we're going to look at uh, the third in our series on quintessential Christmas. Um, And uh, we'll get a few slides up in a a minute. But uh, first of all, I have to start with the confession. I don't own a Christmas jumper. I never have, unfortunately. I'm, uh, I, just, I haven't ever had w- bought one or been given one. And uh, I don't like Christmas films either. Another confession. But before you start calling me Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, there is one part of Christmas. Well, there's a few parts of Christmas. But one part specifically I do love. And hopefully that screen will come up. It is Christmas dinner. So that's the theme today. And to give you a bit of a flavor of what's to come, there's, there's more to come of those, uh, I thought I'd bring some sprouts with me. But these are not just any old sprouts, they are chocolate sprouts. So if you want to take one and pass, pass it on, um, I have um, put the um, ingredients on the side. So if you, if you have got any allergies, just check the uh, ingredients. But... Uh, help yourselves. So I think for me, there's three components of the Christmas dinner, which is the next slide. There's the food, obviously. There's the company and there's the conversation. So let's start with conversation. Shall we? So what do people talk about over Christmas dinner? Shout them out. Any, any things that, uh, that come up in your Christmas dinner conversations? The food, okay, <laughs> yes. Presents, yeah, what are people giving you or what are you going to give or, well, you can't give because you've got to open it first, but yeah, presents. Cracker jokes, yeah, in unison there, obviously God's speaking to you both today, so cracker jokes and hold that thought. The Queen's speech or now the King's speech, yeah, yeah. Just, you're living in the past, Richard. <laughs> What's that? How sad it is that I don't have a Christmas jumper. Yeah, that's a good topic of conversation, Neil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything else? What happened last year? Yeah, review of the year. A bit like the sports review. Who's missing at the table? Okay, we'll hold it. Well, yeah, hold that thought. That's a, that's a good one to, to hold there. So, movies, yeah, movies. Okay. So, but I think the best thing is the Christmas jokes. So I've got a few lined up for you. You can take some notes so that you can recall them at your Christmas dinner table. So what do mice have for Christmas dinner? I think someone said it. Cheese and crackers. Cheese and crackers. No no laugh for that one? Okay, that might get better, hopefully. Why can't you take your turkey to church at Christmas? Because of, it, because of its foul language. They're improving a bit, aren't they? Yeah, Victor got a laugh there. That's good. How does Darth Vader, this is good for Star Wars fans, how does Darth Vader like his Christmas turkey? On the dark side, Steve, yes. Lukewarm. Very intense. Yeah, very good like that one, yeah. When is a turkey dinner bad for your health? When you're the turkey. And then the final one, so... Build it up now. Big, big one, this one. What did one cranberry say to the other cranberry at Christmas? Berry Christmas? 
could have been. That's a good Jonathan. But tis the season to be jelly. And on that note, I will move swiftly on to the food. We've had the conversation, food. And so pre- preparing today, I did do some research and asked a few of Bethany's uh, congregation what they had for Christmas dinner. So I've got a few, well, quite a few actually, different elements of the Christmas dinner. And uh, we're just going to find out which is the most popular. So we'll do a bit of a, a cheer when these comes up. We'll start with the vegetables. We'll get them out of the way first. Then we'll come on to the accompaniments. And then we'll go for the main dish. So just a little, little cheer or a big cheer, depending on how, how good you, you know, how much you like them. So carrots. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're not bad, are they? Parsnips. Oh, oh, that's quite a mixed message there. Some booing, some cheering. Plantain. It's getting louder each time. Cauliflower. Not so much. Cheesy leeks. The cheesy leek corner over there. Sprouts. Wow, that's uh, that's quite quite popular. I didn't expect them to be so popular. So, So it sounds like, I think... I think sprouts win that one, so we'll, we'll hold the sprouts for the vegetables. Let's go on to the accompaniments. So, roast potatoes. Yeah. Mashed potatoes. No, not so much, obviously. Chapatis. Just the one. Biryani. Not, not so popular, but, uh, well, well, we'll see what else is. White rice. <laughs> Fried rice, yeah. coconut rice, yeah. jollof rice, yeah. <laughs> and all of those are on the Agantes table when they uh, have uh, <laughs> vegetarian sausages. <laughs> Obviously not. Pigs in blankets. Yeah. Oh, that's a, kebabs. Two and oysters. Ooh. Okay, so I think the pigs in blankets win that one. So, so far, our Bethany dish is looking like sprouts and pigs in blankets. Here onto the main dish now. Fish. Yeah, a few. Nut roast. A few again. Chicken. A bit more. Beef steak. <laughs> Dummy, uh, turkey, yeah. a braai, no, not even from the South African contingent, a lot of work, yeah, fair enough, and then just to round it all off, crispy aromatic duck with pancakes, there's a family in the congregation that have that for Christmas. And I think, I think we need to invite ourselves round. So, but it does sound like, on balance, the sprouts, pigs in blankets, and turkey, they just about win. So that's a, a fairly traditional Bethany then. So we've looked at the, the conversation. We've identified the best food. And now we're going to look at the company. So who is at the table? Who's missing, as, as was said? So... When speaking to people about their Christmas dinner, I noticed that they sort of it fell into sort of two separate uh, camps, if you like. There was the kind of the British approach, a little bit formal, 
yeah, specific invite invitations to selected people, uh, making sure you don't, you know, don't invite the ones you don't want there. There were seating arrangements at the table. People had place names quite often. Um, <clears throat> a few people had memories of not having enough chairs to go round. Yeah, people are nodding to that. And the chairs were different sizes because you just had to get like the kids' chairs in. The adults are sitting on the kids' chairs uh, or the deck chairs maybe um, or bring your own chair. Uh, and uh, a bit like Goldilocks and Three Bears, you know, the different size chairs. Um, but also there were quite often more than one table because you didn't have enough to sit around the table. So there are different sizes of tables, and then you put your food on one edge of it, and it would just tip over, and I think we've all been there. So that was, that was kind of the, the British approach, which is certainly my upbringing and, and sort of um, experience. But then there was the rest of the world, or an African style, more, more really, but very informal, open house. Everyone just shows up. Family, friends, neighbours people you didn't know, uh, everyone just was, was there. And, and no one in that setting told me that the chairs weren't uh, an issue because I think just there was too many people to go round for all the chairs. So um, just that sounded like a really good uh, way of celebrating Christmas. But there was just two contrasting styles there. So you're starting to think at this point, what on earth is Tim talking about? What has this got to do with the real meaning of Christmas? It's great to talk about Christmas dinner, What's the real meaning? So let's finally turn to the Bible. And reading from Matthew chapter 1, uh, it should come up on the screen uh, from verses 18 to uh, 23. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the essence, I think, of Christmas. It's Emmanuel, God with us in human form. And actually, it's always been God's desire to be with his people, to live in close fellowship with us. And now, through Jesus, we can have that fullness of God that Richard uh, talked about earlier in us. This morning's message, it's not particularly uh, mind-blowingly uh, new revelations. It's a fairly straightforward message, but I really just hope that God will speak to, to, uh, to us this morning and give that fresh insight and revelation. This is just mind-blowing. We can't really comprehend uh, what, it, uh, what it fully means.
But just let's whiz through the Bible then, just have a look at just reinforcing that point that God has always wanted to be with us. So Genesis chapter three, God was walking in the garden of Eden, but Adam and Eve were hiding. Verse nine says, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So God is looking for Adam and Eve. He wants to be in close relationship. He's seeking after his people. And Exodus 25, verse 8, God is speaking with Moses. Uh, Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. So God instructs Moses on how to make a sanctuary called the tabernacle, which means place of dwelling. And it's where God dwells, a tent of meeting between God and men. It was a portable place that moved with the Israelites over their 40 year uh, journey from Mount Sinai to the promised land. Then when the Israelites entered the promised land of Canaan, Solomon built a temple where God came to dwell, moving from that portable dwelling to a, a more fixed place among his people. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Then moving into the New Testament, uh, when Jesus was born, John chapter 1, verse 14 tells us, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. After Jesus died, was resurrected, and then returned to his father in heaven, God's dwelling place became and is now the church. Not a building, but the people who are the body of Christ, that's us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I with them. Sometimes when we pray, we ask, oh, Lord, please be with us. We don't need to pray that. He's already here with us. Then finally, in John's vision, John the Apostle, not John Swain. John's vision, looking ahead uh, to the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's the fulfillment of God's plan. Uh, In the Old Testament, although God dwelt there with, with his people, it was only the high priest who could actually enter the Holy of Holies. The rest of the people uh, weren't able to to access it. And, and as Neil said, you know, they would be killed if they actually got close. Now, the great high priest is Jesus. He's made a way for us to access God. This is mind-blowing stuff. He now lives within us. So throughout the Bible, right from creation to the new heaven and new earth we can see that God's plan his desire is always to dwell with his people in close relationship and he wants that for us today this Christmas let's let's let that sink in 
We can know it intellectually, and even I, just in preparing this, I've known it at a sort of head level, but I just want it to grab hold of me right inside and my spirit and my soul. So just let's say out loud together, God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. Now turn to the person next to you and tell them God wants to be with you. Turn the other way and say, God wants to be with you. <laughs> and Christmas time is a time to remember that Jesus coming to earth was when God came to dwell among his people as God with us in human form. Jesus was born as a baby by God's spirit. He lived as fully human and fully God. He experienced human emotions and limitations so he could more fully identify with us, his people. So whatever you're going through right now, God knows it and he is with you. It could be money troubles. It could be uh, difficult relationships, problems at work, feeling trapped in a situation, pain and ill health. Whatever it is, just share it with him. Ask for what you need. And because he's with us, we don't need to be afraid. We can be strengthened and encouraged. It might not feel like, like it, but the truth is you can face your situation and God is standing right behind you, right in front of you, right next to you, right now. So first we looked at uh, the Christmas dinner. Then we looked at the essence of the, the meaning of Christmas, God with us. Now we're going to try and link those two themes together. Uh, and so throughout scriptures, there are many times when food is an important uh, feature at times of particular significance. Uh, in Genesis 1, we don't get more than 29 verses into the Bible and food is mentioned. Uh, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. In Genesis 18, uh, three strangers appear to Abraham. He prepared a lavish meal for them, washed their feet and stayed close to them while they ate. While they ate. It was at this point one of the men told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. It was a, a truly significant moment. John chapter 1, at the start of his ministry, Jesus attended a wedding banquet in, in Cana, which was the scene of his first miracle. Matthew and John tell us about the feeding of the 5,000. And in Luke 14, we read about the great banquet where Jesus tells his host not to invite his friends, brothers and sisters, uh, your relatives or neighbours. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. I'd love to speak more about this passage. It's so close to my heart as being associated with my charity, but that's for another time maybe. But then after Jesus' resurrection, before he ascends to heaven in John 21, he meets the disciples at the edge of the Sea of Galilee after they've had a long night of unsuccessful fishing until Jesus tells them to throw their nets on the other side. And they catch a great haul of fish. And this is what it says. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there 
and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Isn't it interesting that Jesus chose to meet his disciples for a meal? He could have said, let's go to a prayer meeting. He could have said, let's have a praise and worship time. But no, he invites them to a cooked breakfast. Jesus also talks about eating in heaven. So the culmination of Jesus' ministry, he shares his last supper uh, with the disciples. We remember that in communion, which you've had today. Luke 22, verse 30, And I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And Luke 13, verse 29 says, People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Revelation 19, verse 9, Blessed are those invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's us, friends. There's one verse I think particularly sums up the message today, marrying the theme of food and Christmas dinner with the meaning of Christmas God with us. And that's from Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 20, which uh, I think is on the, the screen there. Yeah. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The Greek word here for eat is, if I can say it right, dipniso, which means a feast. So it's not just a, a sharing a few snacks. It is a full meal, like a Christmas dinner. Jesus is wanting to share in Christmas dinner with us every day. So why is eating food such a significant activity? Why did Jesus use the language of having a meal with us? Well, I think there's three things uh, just to, to highlight here. Um, um, and I think, yeah, the first one is that it creates lasting memories. Now, my children often remember what food we had at certain times. We were coming home from last week's Harpenden Festival, and Hannah said that she remembers when we got home after the Harpenden Christmas Carnival two years ago, that we had pizza and chips. That's a good memory, but it's just, it just links, the food links to an activity, a memory. And food probably evokes those strong memories because it uses all five of our senses. Imagine what the disciples would have experienced on that beach. So they'd have seen the fire and the smoke, and uh, they'd have seen Jesus, uh, but they'd have seen it cooking on, on, the, on the charcoal. They would smell the smoke and the fish and the bread cooking. The sound of the crackling fire against the backdrop of the waves. Uh, they could have touched the warm bread and the fish and they would have tasted the food. So all using all the five senses uh, all together. So it had created a strong physical response. And it was at that point that Jesus chose to restore Peter, asking him three times if Peter loved him. Why did he choose that time? Well, I think it was to ensure that Peter wouldn't forget the moment. It would be imprinted on his life journey so that he could never doubt it. So it creates strong, uh, lasting memories. Secondly, it's an intimate activity. 
you can spend time and undivided attention uh, and get to know people. On one of our first dates, uh, I invited Lynn, my wife, to, to dinner that I'd made. Uh, it was a lasagna and garlic bread. I remember it well. Uh, she was quite nervous about eating in front of me. Uh, obviously, she didn't want to get embarrassed about chewing with her mouth open. or Not that, not that she does. I'm just, I'm just saying. Or self-conscious about speaking with her mouth full. Whereas me, I just didn't care. I just wanted to invite her to, to dinner. So, um, so it does. it's an intimate activity where you can get to know people. And Jesus chose to spend the last night uh, before his death at a meal with his disciples making time for them, washing their feet, giving his undivided attention despite what he was about to go through. So it creates lasting memories. It's an intimate activity. And then finally, eating with others is also powerful as it breaks down barriers and brings people together. I wonder if anyone remembers the Jubilee 2000 campaign. No, a few people. That's good. It was a social movement uh, campaigning uh, for Western governments to drop the debt of the poorest uh, countries, to write off the loans. And uh, it generated 24 million signatures across 155 countries. Now, the US was owed quite a lot of debt, so it really needed, uh, they needed convincing and a lot of hard campaigning to win them over. Uh, Bono, the lead singer of U2, was uh, a spokesperson for the, the campaign. And so in order to influence the politicians and bring about successful change, his tactics were to invite liberal and conservative economists to lunch with one another so that they could get the left and the right talking and get them on board so that before they took up entrenched positions in their own parties. It was so successful, it became a working model for 20 years of future campaigns. And Jesus didn't. He often took time to eat with people. Often they were described as sinners, those who others didn't associate with. He wanted to get to know people and show that he valued them, not just make a a superficial judgment on uh, what that person was like. How often do we avoid people because in our mind we've labelled them as different to ourselves and say, well, I wouldn't get on with that person. But Jesus models the way he eats with people. So just to to draw to a close, how can we respond to this message today? Uh, One thing my family and and I, uh, our family have done uh, in recent years at uh, breakfast time on Christmas Day is to sing happy birthday to Jesus. It's just a reminder that the focus is about him and not to get distracted by the gifts and the glitter. So this Christmas, whatever you discuss at the table, whatever jokes you tell, whatever your, whether your approaches to Christmas dinner is more British or African, let's make sure we're listening for Jesus knocking at the door of our heart. He wants to be welcomed in, to eat at the table with us too. And that's not just at Christmas dinner, uh, but every minute of every hour because he loves us. Let's pray.